Okay, firstly, I, I, I don't really like love kids so much. La. I mean, as, the, as in if you give me, you know, children to play with uh, for a while, but I'm not someone who is so, you know, passionate that I want to spend every minute <laughs> playing with them. Uh, so for me, it's like, okay, if I have children, it means that, okay, I'm fearful of the worry. Responsibility. You know, if they are sick, then you worry. And then, you know, it's like, if you don't have all this, you don't mm. worry, right? We have all this, then mm. you worry. Okay, it's a very... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Weird way of thinking, but that's how I think. No, if they fall sick, I'll be so worried. And then if something mm. happens to them. So if you don't have, you don't have all this worry. That was actually why I didn't really like, but I have one boy. La. Mm. In the end, I decided that as much as I felt that way, but probably my husband would like to have. Mm. So, yeah, but my boy is Down syndrome. Mm. So, <laughs> wow. it's like sometimes you, you wonder, right? Mm. Uh, well, I, I, sh- I should be the least person to have this kind of, be in this sort of situation because, you know, I, 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 I just don't like to find myself in a position where I have to worry so much. Mm. Of course, with this boy, then more worries. La. I mean, I have to mm. plan and care a lot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So, this is actually going into a deeper level of planning. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, so it's like if you don't plan, and life throws you curveballs like this, then mm. what do you do? You see, if you don't have a foundation to start. Estate planning is something that we find disturbing to entertain. La. Honestly, I felt a little heavy while recording this kind of somber yet enlightening discussion, giving me a different perspective. I know many of us will find too complex to factor. You know, like it's just so far and you know, we're still young and all that kind of stuff. Some misconceptions are that estate planning is only for the rich, which I was definitely schooled otherwise. Today, we even went on to discuss about someone in their 30s, someone in their 50s have already accumulated and all the different kind of personas. But interestingly, we discussed discuss foreign share ownership, crypto as an asset, and how all these things that we commonly own today, all these asset classes, will then be factored into our estate planning process. So for all that and more, stay tuned. Welcome to a special mini-series of Provident Chills with TFC. In this series, we'll be bringing on a team of wealth managers and financial professionals with varied life experiences to share about topics we believe you will be interested in. Definitely, this series is sponsored by Provident. If you cannot yet tell, Singapore's first fee-only wealth advisory firm, meaning all their clients pay them a fixed fee for planning their finances. They do not accept any fees or compensation from product providers at all. And with this model, they believe there will be no conflict of interest. In today's episode, we will be spending time with two power women in the house, extremely insightful and personable. One was an auditor in one of the big eight accounting firms. Like, yes, yes, big eight, a very long time ago. Another received her master's of quality management while being a mom of two. Now she's a grandma. I'm very happy to welcome Miss Eleanor and Miss May Queen, who are both founding partners of Singapore's first fee-only wealth planning firm, Provident. And I'm going to start off today's episode a little differently. I think during our discussion, they share a little bit more about their family and how that informs their estate planning process. And I want to share with you that. So then, I'm curious, right? Like, how does your situation with your family, how does that affect then the way you look at your planning, your strategies? Mm. You know, does it need to be even more holistic? 
yes, more and also when it comes to the numbers, right? I mean, planning eventually is like what's like you know the magic number. I mean, I need a much bigger number because typically for someone, right? When you plan, typically we talk about you know, planning for the day when you want to be financially independent, you know, or retirement or whatever you call it. And that's where, you know, you plan to your end of life and that's it. And generally, typically, people would assume that, okay, you know, my kids, once I have given them a good education, you know, they get a job and then that's the end of my so-called financial responsibility, right? They can mm. take care of themselves, right? But for me then, it's a different ball game. I have to provide for my son for the rest of his life. So it means like a longer time means more money, right? Mm. Uh, besides the financial, there's also the issue of who is going to take care of him mm. when my husband and I are no longer around. Mm. So there are all these issues. So the planning becomes a lot more complicated uh, and not easy to find solutions. Mm, uh, sometimes mm. even if you set up that you want to plan, but you may not have the perfect solutions. Yeah, mm. and that is actually all just part of estate planning. You know, planning your time out of, you know, after you're you're done. Right? That is the whole idea of estate, right? In in that sense. That's also one one part. It's just that for my case, right? Then that planning has to be more than a typical so-called family, right? Mm. Because the planning is just the estate part. It's like you know when they are gone. You just want to make sure that, you know, uh, the assets goes to whoever they want it to be. Typically, of course, it also depends on when it happens, right? If they're mm. gone when their kids are still young, you want to ensure that you have sufficient capital to provide for them mm. until they, you know, they are independent. But for estate planning for people where, you know, their kids are grown up, there's no need to take care of them financially, then it's not so much of having enough capital for their kids anymore. Of course... Everybody would like to have more. I mean, so in the course of our work, right, we find that we have lots of clients, as much as their kids are already, like, grown up, right? But as parents, they will still say that, yeah, I, when I'm gone, I still want to leave behind monies for my children, you know, to mm. give them a head start. Mm. Typically, we hear, oh, I also want to help them with money to help them to buy a property because, mm. you know, it's so expensive to purchase a property in Singapore. Mm. So if I can help them, right, uh, a certain lump sum, that would be great. And that's what we hear a mm. lot of clients so mm. I think people always want more. La, right? <laughs> I mean, this is good to have, but not essential. But that's what a lot of people are thinking. Or maybe we are an affluent society. People now have more than enough. So we are not talking about basic needs anymore. So even when they are gone, right, uh, they just want to have, to, to have that so-called extra, extra monies to pass to their kids. Mm. Okay. Yeah. In, in that sense, then, am I hearing that estate planning is only for the rich then? You know, because you have extra money passed down into the future, you know, a lot of this, like after you are done here, what mm. are you going to leave behind? But what if you don't have much to leave behind? I think if you equate estate planning with just writing a will, right, mm. then typically there's this misconception that, okay, well, then I, I don't need to do estate planning because if it's about a will and I don't have a lot of assets, you know, mm. what's what's a will for, you know, not much to give away, mm. right? So if you look at it from that point of view, yeah, you know, but estate planning is more than just having a will, right? Like, uh, you know, it's more than just talking about a will having that distribution. Estate planning is also about the other areas. So if that's the case, then estate planning is not just for the rich. And mm. even if you have very few assets or very little assets, estate planning is still important. Having a will may still be important because whatever little you have, you want to make sure that it goes to the right person, 
right? So without a will, uh, it may not land up uh, in a with the person that you intend it to be, or there could be so much difficulties in getting that our estate to be passed down to our loved ones. So yeah, whether you are rich or not rich or not wealthy, I think estate planning is still important. It's just that perhaps if you are so-called less wealthy, the planning probably would maybe simpler and easier mm. to plan, right? Whereas if you are wealthier, you have more complex needs, then the planning becomes more complex. Mm. Mm. Okay. I also want to come from the point about, uh, say for example, married couples with uh, children. You know, an uh, important part about will drafting is also appointing the right executor, uh, trustee, to manage the assets for your family and also appoint appointment of the guardian. Because, you know, uh, as a married couple, sometimes there is actually disagreement as to who is the uh, the person that you want to entrust to look after your children. So if that's an eventually, uh, if that's it happens that, let's say, both of you and your wife passes, your spouse passes away at the same time, then without drafting the will, you have not sort of a point, you know, who is then the person, then the uh, guardian is going to be court uh, appointed. So that may not be the person that you have in mind. You know, so when I think about appointing a guardian, I want to think about somebody that would love my child the way I love, uh, would be able to provide the uh, kind of value system, or let's say, for example, if you've got a different religion, you want the child to grow up in that kind of uh, environment. You know, so but without having a will, then all this would be actually out of your control. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is will is not the only thing, but we start with the will, right? Mm. So I think a few things that you pointed out, one thing mm. is about right trustee. Can you just kind of give me a clarity? What is a right trustee? Okay, a trustee is actually someone that you uh, appoint to manage the assets. And then uh, why is it that the assets need to be managed? It's when you have uh, beneficiaries who are not in the right maybe mental capacity, or say, for example, you've got minors who are, you know, too young, below the age of 18, mm -hmm. right? So that's actually legally speaking like in Singapore, right? So when you talk about right trustee, you want to have someone that you know that is able to be, that is trustworthy, Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want. That's it's baked into the word, right? Trustee, right? Yeah, trustee, trustworthy. Trust. <laughs> yeah, trustworthy. Who is uh, willing and able to also? I think that is also important. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then when it comes to the guardian, mm. you were saying like you know we want to go for people that have similar value system can love the child the same way as us. Mm. Must it be a family member? Not necessary. Mm. Not necessary. Yeah. So have you seen cases where it is not? family member or how, how does that work? This kind of pain me some... Uh, I think usually it's the family member. But I would say that it's not necessary because sometimes, you know, like uh, these days, people prefer to have pets rather than children, right? <laughs> Maybe they don't want to be bought down. That's why down. I don't need estate planning. When you... <laughs> no more children to pass down the estate. Okay, of course, I know that the complexities, right? Yeah, yes, yes. that's right. Okay, okay. So far, I mean, in at least the clients I work with when it mm. comes to the appointment of guardians, uh, typically most of them would appoint usually is their relatives, family members mm. to be the guardians. I mean, I have not had a client whom they have appointed, you know, their best friend to be mm. their guardians. But I think increasingly, right, as so-called, as mm. families get smaller and smaller, then we could see more of this because it means that, let's say, if you come from a two-child family, you know, there's only your other sibling. 
right? And, and also with globalization, people are everywhere. So your sibling may not be based in Singapore. Mm. Maybe they are residing in U.S. And you may not want, if you are gone, your children to, you know, be in U.S., you prefer them to be like Singaporeans. Then that means that you have no choice, right? You mm. can't appoint your sibling to be the guardian and... Maybe it could be your, you know, best friends, people you always hang out with, mm. Mm. have children about the same age. Then you think that they will make better parents, mm. yeah, guardians. I mean, in yeah. an unfortunate mm. event, if both the parents are gone. Yeah. I think having a guardian is also important. Not so much your choice, but, you know, people always... There's this joke as in like... Um, it, it could also create uh, problems because imagine if uh, par parents are gone and they leave behind young children... And maybe both sides, you know, the paternal and maternal side of the families also want to be the guardians of the children. Mm -hmm. Then it could mean that they may fight over... I mean, I recall reading newspaper articles where actually so-called both sides of the family fight for the custody of the children because they all love the children. They mm -hmm. want to be the guardians, right? Mm -hmm. So it could end up that way. If we don't have a will, right? I mean, when we are gone, you know, we leave it to the court and then they could end up fighting of course, sometimes lawyers joke, no worse, if nobody wants your children, <laughs> we assume people want them and fight over them, but yeah. it could also end up that nobody wants the children, you know, mm. then that would be very sad, right? So I think one of the important things, like, you know, having a will is that you can appoint your guardian. And this is very important when you have young children. Okay, okay. So, so in, in that sense, as a guardian of the kid, you know, if you appoint someone as a guardian of your kid, then they become the legal rightful you know, owner of the kid. Is that, is that how it is? Mm. Right? So, mm. so they, they become the, the, new, the, new, the new parent. Yeah, yeah, sense. right. So guardian yes. means, you know, as the term we know, right? Mm, the mm. layman's the guardian yes. means that they are responsible for the kids. They, mm. they Typically, the children would mean, you know, normally would live with them mm. and they will take care of the well-being, physical well-being, decide on what school and, you know, all those. They're okay. just like the parents. So of it's the, the same yes. in, in that sense. Do you consider, is that considered adoption or if... They are legal guardians. Legal so guardians, legal. Okay. So legally, they can sign, you know, whatever like okay. school... Legally they are like the par legal parents okay. uh, they may not they are not the biological but okay. they are the legal parents so they are responsible mm. okay, for okay. the children. And for yeah. everybody that decides to, you know, get their best friend to be the guardian, better tell your best friend, uh, mm. right? <laughs> Don't suddenly got something happen, right? Then <laughs> suddenly, hey best friend got two more kids. Uh, that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so before we actually uh, you know get our clients to drop the wheel, one of the things that we tell our clients is to say that think about the people that both of you and your spouse agree and approach them to actually ask for their permission because, you know, as what you said, you know, you don't want to be a situation, suddenly you end up with two kids, yeah, right? Yeah. So ask, ask for the permission that, uh, you know, make sure that they don't have plans to mm. migrate, mm. you know, because that will actually derail the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. And then beyond the will, right? Because mm. like, like you ladies say, like, oh, the will is only the very basic layer, right? Mm. At least if anything happens, there's some sort of legal framework to, to work work with, right? Like mm. based on what you want, you know, in, in the event of something happen. You know, wow, this topic very heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it's still playing, like, very heavy. Yeah. Wow. Heavy because, <laughs> because it's the like responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's like you're planning for afterlife, you know. So mm. so it's like it's like a bit heavy la, it's right? not an exciting it's not like talking about wealth planning you yeah, know, it's not very like exciting, like, right? exciting looking, new thing, but this new is idea. something very sober <laughs> mm, 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 mm. 
So so then beyond the will, mm. okay, let's say, okay, we don't we we put the extremely rich people aside first. Right? We mm. talk about the the typical Singaporean. Um, the the narrative is you know you study hard, you get a good professional job, and then you accumulate your wealth, you know over over an extended period of time, then you retire lah. Of course, this mm. narrative is getting shook, right? It's changing, and uh, things are different these days. But assuming that is the general narrative. You know, other than the will, what else should we consider, you know, as part of this estate planning process? Right. So if you were to take a step back, that is actually a larger than that. Probably the, the distribution by way of a will is the exciting part, mm-hmm. whereby you're the king and the queen and you give away your assets, you know, and then you better be nice to <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, you get my uh, pearls. Yeah, <laughs> if you're not nice to me, that's it, you know, I'm going to write you off, you know. But yeah, but if you were to take a step back, you know, you have to think about, number one is that, is that enough to be given away, yeah. right? Because if let's say right now when you are still working and you are able to, to establish a certain kind of a quality of life, you know, your family gets to travel once a year, long trip, you know, and you get to spend like as a family, you know, $10,000 a month. If that is the kind of lifestyle that you still want to give to your family, then you have to think about, is that enough to be given? So this is where, you know, when you actually do a financial analysis, looking at your assets, you know, versus, for example, the need for income provision, if there's a gap, then naturally uh, insurance is then used to, to, as a product to bridge the gap. So we talk about estate creation, making sure that there's actually enough for your family members to continue their life as normal as possible, to pay off the debts, to, to pay for education funding for the children. Okay, then there's also this part about preservation, all right? Because if let's say the death uh, happens because of a prolonged medical, you know, medical expenses can actually erode the value of the assets assets that you're leaving behind for the family. So we talk about asset preservation. It could be because of taxes. It could be because of, uh, say, for example, uh, obligations like liabilities, housing loan, you know, that's still exposed because you plan life as if you're going to live forever and you take a loan that actually stretches for 30 years. Mm. And if at that point of time, death happens, all right, so the, the debt is still going to be, has to be paid. Mm. Right, so uh, estate preservation is also another key area. So when our clients come to us, we talk about these three areas. So before we talk about estate distribution, so creation, preservation, then distribution. Mm. Okay, so and in the in the process of talking about creation, mm. you know, you were talking about like oh, if there's a certain lifestyle that you want to achieve, mm. you know, in this life, and mm. and you're ongoing this process, and. Um, you talk about income replacement if something happened, you mm-hmm. know. Can you just kind of paint us a little bit more picture, like like how how does that work, man? You know, how how does insurance kind of step in to create that income? Okay, in the planning process, we talk to our clients about their lifestyle. Okay, we look at the expenses, we look at uh, uh, how long they want to plan for, and we also ask them, you know, whether they have got intention to uh, provide for people outside of the family. Like, for example, if their parents are still dependent on them for income, you know, for a certain allowance, then we, we look at their assets position, are there liabilities? So we look at all this, this then actually presents what is your need in terms mm-hmm. of income replacement. Income replacement that is actually required should you fail to come home, mm-hmm. right? Then thereafter, we look at what is the kind of assets you have. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talk about net worth, then we talk about liabilities. So we put these equations together, Mm. You know, what you have is actually not enough to pro- uh, provide for what you need, for the duration that you need, then there's going to be a gap. Okay, okay. Because that, that the assumption is um, there is some sort of human capital here, right? In a mm. sense of like, 
at the end of 30 years, you're going to, mm. of, of your prime of your working career, you're going to be accumulating so much and your family is going to live through all this process together with you, you know, with mm. all the money that you're going to make because a lot of times these are future money, right? They're, they're mm. going to keep coming and you're going to keep living and going to keep like enjoying your like, you know, mm. Moroccan traveling or whatever, right. <laughs> what have you, right? Um, but what you're telling me is that you would think that people should, you know, allocate some money into some sort of insurance to replace that income if something happens so that the family can continue to still have that same life that you were planning for, mm. you know, without, if, if let's say something happened to you. Mm. Is that kind of mm. what I'm saying? It is like a, a, a buying a safety net, mm. all right, mm. in case it happens, in case, you know, you don't live as long as what you plan to, mm. then this is where the uh, insurance as a product would actually create the money or create the estate that's mm. actually uh, caused because of the death. Mm, okay, okay. Mm. So then where, where does investments then sit in this whole estate then? Okay, investments is actually for purpose of accumulation, mm. right? So if let's say the question is that, okay, can I invest instead of buying insurance, mm, mm. right? But you see, the thing about investments is that you need time, mm. right? So if you were to put a capital to say, okay, I want to have a million dollars, but I've got only a hundred thousand dollars, I need time for the investments to grow. Mm. But for death, you never know when it happens. Mm. And your investments may not have enough time to grow, all right? So uh, we would say that these two things actually can be have, uh, can can do it concurrently. You buy the insurances to provide for the safety net in case unfortunate eventualities should happen. But meanwhile, you you accumulate by way of investments. So when it actually comes a time whereby, say for example, after after fifteen twenty years, you find that the value of your assets is actually more than enough or mm. equal to what you need in terms of the uh, income provision, then you are really in a position whereby you can really think about whether you need the insurance or not. Mm. Okay, okay. So, so in a sense, insurance is a little bit of a stopgap. Temporarily, you need it, you mm. know, in, in, in case something happened, you know, but as long as your assets build up to the desired way of life, then, then you can drop it. In that sense, mm, is that mm, what I'm hearing? Yes. So yes. typically, you find that let's say for a so-called a young family, right? Mm. You know, someone in their thirties, they've got young children, they have got mortgage, home loan, right? So when you do this analysis, that means how much capital you need should they drop dead and uh, no no more income, and they have to provide for their young children for the next like 15, 20 years until the children turns of age, provide for university education. Uh, it would mean that you know the gap. That means what capital they have available versus the capital that's needed to fund all the number of years will be very huge. Yeah, so that's where insurance would come in. But for someone, let's say if you do this analysis, for someone who is a lot older, and because they're a lot older, it means that they have accumulated a lot of wealth. So if you do this so-called analysis exercise, you'll find that, yeah, actually the gap is very small or maybe non-existent. That means their capital is actually more than enough even if they were to be gone no more income coming in. Whatever they have accumulated is more than enough to provide for the family, you know, until the children are financially independent. Mm. Yeah. So, so those guys don't need creation in a sense. They already have an estate. Is that what I'm hearing? Typically, I mean, mm. creation only comes in... So what we're saying is that your estate is not big enough to provide, right? When you, should you be gone one day, you know, and your estate that you have is not enough to provide for your financial dependence, mm. right? Then the only solution is through insurance because mm. insurance is instant, right? The mm. moment uh, a person passes away, you know, the insurance kicks in. Mm. So that is the only solution. But for someone who has got so much capital, right, 
and it's more than enough, then there, if there's no gap, then you don't need insurance, mm. right? But typically, we talk about Singaporeans, you know, young couples in their 30s, likely they would need insurance. I mean, unless they have, they come from a background where they've got huge inheritances mm. or... Trust fund babies. Maybe, huh? maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow, but if it's just normal, right? You know, you start work, you build, mm. you know, mm. you build your wealth. At that point, unlikely that your wealth is so huge that you can cater for, to provide for so many years of the kids. Mm. Mm. Okay. So then at what age or under what situation should I then explore estate planning? It sounds like must have kids first. It sounds like you must have a dependent before estate planning becomes a thing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. You know, but what mm. are your thoughts? So when it says dependent, uh, you are not just equating dependence to be your children. Mm. Because your dependence could be your parents, your aged parents. Mm, mm. right? So I would say that uh, if, let's say, your intention is to provide for your loved ones and to, make, to have a high certainty that your assets will actually go to the ones that you want to dispute to, then that is essentially a reason to kickstart the estate planning process. Mm. Then, of course, you, know, you go backwards to say, okay, now, is that enough to be given? Mm. All right. Mm. So this actually kickstart, you know, you, you sort of goes, goes into the three areas of consideration, creation, preservation, and distribution. Mm. Okay. Mm. So I suppose, let's say, you know, a, a young person, you know, just graduated, starts to work single, right? Then you ask, okay, is estate planning relevant? I would say it's still relevant because if this young person has got uh, dependent parents who are dependent on this person, right, to support, Right, and then if this person were to drop dead, uh, there may not be enough assets, right, to provide for the parents, and so that's where you know the estate creation comes in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the distribution, because he may be concerned that of course, of course, being a single, if you know he has not done the will, you'll be like hundred percent to surviving parents, so you'll be what he would want to. But having a will would also means that the process of you know getting the assets to the parents would be a lot simpler, less costly. So I suppose estate planning is still relevant for someone young, say single, who just started work. It's just that as a person, you know, has got more things, you know, uh, young children, <laughs> house, and, you know, mm. then the, the importance of estate planning becomes even more kind of like critical, uh, more higher on the list in terms of priority. But there's nothing to stop someone, you know, just start work fresh from school. If they've got aged parents who are dependent on them, it's still makes sense to at least do some estate planning. Probably, like mm. say, it's a lot simpler, right? Mm. Uh, not so many things to think about, mm. but it is still relevant. Mm. I think a lot of people at that stage, they don't really see it as an estate, right? They just see it as, if something happened to me, I got income replacement mm. that I can continue to pass down and, and that's about it. Typically, I mean, people would buy insurance, you yeah, know? Uh, yeah. Also because it's like, you know, when you graduate, you also have friends who work in the industry and then you know they will ask you and then you mm. end up mm. uh so-called into into right into, into. <laughs> uh, you know they'll buy and yeah, to them yeah, it's like yeah. yeah no no harm you know so if something happens at least there's some of money to give mm. to my parents mm. so that's a 
simple way. I mean, they don't they don't use a bombastic term estate planning, but in mm. a way they are doing some planning. Okay, okay. For wills, I don't see it. So I mean, for young people, right? Typically, when you speak to them, it's not something they think about. Uh, I suppose it's so because when you are young, right? Death is not something that you think is like. Yeah. Will happen, you are still right? partying, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, thing, it's never in their thought. It's, it's not a term in their vocabulary yeah, yeah, or dictionary. Yeah, yeah. Are more important. Yeah, right? there are other <laughs> more, important more important priorities that to think about, yes, right? So it's the yes. furthest thing from their mind. Yes, mm. yes, yes. And uh, to all the listeners, please don't ingto ingto. Uh, right? <laughs> you make sure <laughs> you know what you want. You do your life. You find you know your way of life. Then you know get all these structured financial products to help you. To uh, navigate this life yes. that you, you seek, ah, uh, ingto ingto, uh, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for yeah, pointing yeah, that yes, out. <laughs> yes, yes, but, but but this is a very common practice, you know, that, that happens out there. I think yes. a lot of people also feel very pressured, lah. Uh. Mm-hmm. That's why there's a general disdain for you know structured products or insurances, mm-hmm. you know. But if you look at it, it's really just a risk management tool. And if you understand what is it for, you know how you use it, right? Then it's a beautiful tool. You know, mm-hmm. you can use it very well, ah. Uh. People just feel pressured to to buy, right. la. mm-hmm. That's that's my view, okay. So that's for the typical person that, you know, don't really have a lot, you know, just starting out, still in the accumulation stage, right? But what about somebody that has a lot already, right? That means like, maybe somebody in the 50s, in the prime of their career, you know, they have all this money and it's a couple, everybody's doing pretty well, right? Then they have, you know, some stocks here, some property here, some funds here, all these different things, right? What, what are some things that they need to know then? How, how, how do they then establish that estate of theirs? Because they are messy, right? They're everywhere. Mm. Right? So what, what should they do? Okay, maybe what they can do is to actually have an asset listing. Okay, uh, because you, you mentioned the word messy, right? Mm. It's to actually take stock what they have. Yeah, because you know, over time it, you accumulate, right? Yeah, you buy yeah. this jewellery, buy that stock, buy that house. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So so there are certain things that, you know, you may not even tell your spouse that you buy, uh, you know, just yeah, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so it's good to actually have a schedule. <laughs> Um, yeah, schedule of your assets, you know, uh, where where you have the re- banking relationship, you know, what is the account number, who is your bank RMs, you know, uh, you've got investments with Provident, Provident is a wealth advisor, you know, you've got these uh, investments with uh, Provident, you know, actually have a list of assets, you know, so that would be a, a good start. Because uh, during the probate process, you know, uh, you also want to make sure that you don't have a situation whereby your asset get lost. Mm. Nobody knows. And right now, you don't get actually physical statements anymore. Mm. You know, so sometimes it's actually more of an e-banking. You know, your, your, your family members don't even have like a, the, the password. All right. So uh, that would be a good start to, to collate, you know, and then update this list on a regular basis and then put it together with the estate documentation. If that's your assets, it's actually quite substantial. You may think uh, beyond the gifting. You may want to see whether, you know, beyond giving a certain amount of money, you know, or, or certain assets to a, to a family member, you may want to think about, you know, what is the value that you want to translate to the one that you love? You know, because it is your heart and money, right? You know, for them, they're inheriting. So it is just another dollar for them. Mm. But if you actually talk about instilling values, like, for example, you want to instill values about... Uh, the joy of giving, you know, doing charity, as an example, you could actually incorporate some of these so-called requirements in the will to say that, you know, yeah, set aside a certain amount of money and then, you know, work with your beneficiary even while you're still alive. Mm. All right, so here I'm actually talking a little bit about going into legacy, yeah, so that you can basically uh, instill values you know, that you hold so true as an individual. So probably another thing that this person could do is to 
actually have a conversation, you know, with the family members to see, you know, whether, what do they want? You know, uh, probably a certain uh, beneficiary may want a certain assets as opposed to say, say, I want money and I don't want a house. You know, so instead of uh, like giving them something that they don't treasure, mm. so have that conversation, you know, it may actually take a, a lot of guts to want to have that conversation because sometimes, you know, people are just so secretive, you know. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, so... And there's this, there's mm. this um, arbitrary idea of fairness, right? Yeah. If let's say I have three kids, everybody must same. Everybody mm. must be fair, yeah. you know? And uh, I, exactly like what you point out, mm. right? It's, it's really about asking your next generation yeah. because you're going to pass to them. What, what do they want? What do they actually want? Right? So I give you the house. Actually, you also don't want the house. <laughs> it's like, I don't want, I want to live elsewhere. Why do you want to give me a house very tall? Yeah. And I sell the thing, right? Then, yeah. you know, it becomes like, you know, a, a little bit against the, the owner of the will and, you know, puts me in a moral dilemma. <laughs> in fact, recently I heard from a lawyer that, mm. you know, some kids don't want to have a house because it becomes like a burden to them because mm. imagine if they inherit a house and eventually when they want to, you know, get married, you know, and, you know, they want to find their own dream home with mm. their they got stamp duty. partner. That's then it's right. like, oh, now I have ABSD, you know. <laughs> so it's it, suddenly do more. So, yeah, it becomes like a burden, right? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so... So then that's where this really this conversation with your family members is very important to see what's really important to them. Mm. And typically, like I said, right, a lot of parents think, oh yeah, to be fair, if I have one property, if I've got three kids or mm. two kids, it's just all equal divide. Mm. But uh, I think increasingly people come to realise that maybe in the past, that's what people always think, right? Yeah, fair, yeah, fair, everything fair, all fair, everything equal share, oh, right? Yes. But increasingly, I think parents or, I mean, a lot of our clients come to realise that actually... Uh, it may create issues because a property is unlike cash, right? Easily mm. divided. Mm. Uh, if I gave a property to one, two person, two of my kids, uh, one kid feels like, oh yeah, I think, wow, I think I need the money, you know, I want to start a business or whatever. I want to sell this property so with that money, I can do what I like, right? Another kid may be a lot financially well off. They say, oh, no, actually, I don't need this money and I think this property has got good capital appreciation potential. You know, just mm. keep it for five, ten years before we sell. But if both have differing views, you can't say, okay, I take my 50% share and sell mine, you continue to retain. You can mm. divide a property. Exactly. And then it creates problems. Mm. Yeah, which I think increasingly we find that people start to realise that and that's where it's important to have this conversation with their children and ask, okay, you know, like, do you like this property? Or maybe mm. I'll give one child a property, but to be fair and still fair, then I give the other child who don't like a property maybe, you know, the shares or the invest the investments or the cash instead. Mm. Yeah. But it may create a problem in terms of equality because mm. let's say if I have a two million property, right, to give the child A, but I may not have enough other assets, right, to make up to two million for the second child, mm. right? So I, I can't be fair anymore. And yet I don't want this issue of giving them two of them the same property and then they end up, you know, mm, have mm. you know fighting over what to do. Exactly. Uh, and that's also where maybe for some people insurance comes in to create the estate to mm. have that that uh, extra right to make up for that difference that mm. allows the person to do that. Okay. Mm. What about trustee structures? Do people entertain that kind of idea? I mean they must be quite well to do lah. Mm, trustee has to like uh, appointing a corporate Yeah, like trust. you set up a whole, you know, <laughs> structure around it. Well, right. well, that is actually very interesting. I mean, increasingly more and more people are actually asking about mm. it. 
but itself is actually quite a uh, there's a lot going into it you know so i think we, we, can would, do a whole we other will episode, take yes. a, a separate session to discuss it <laughs> yeah because it's, it's yeah a lot of stories to tell mm-hmm. but but it's increasingly popular it's increasingly popular okay. yeah that's right there are people who love it there are people who hate it there are people who who after they know more about it they are mm. open up to the idea nice yeah. okay mm. well, we'll talk about it another time yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then I think we talk a lot about the creation process you know mm. from whether you have assets or no no assets or you have a lot already depend, different phase of your life mm. you know but just now uh, we also talk about preservation right the idea of preservation um, can you just kind of share me a little bit more like what, what is the idea of preservation here Okay, in preservation, what we are talking about is to actually reduce the something that will actually erodes the value of what you intend to get behind. Mm. Okay, example will be um, estate taxes. Okay, uh, in Singapore, they have already abolished the estate taxes. But if you were to say, for example, uh, look beyond the... Uh, the shore of Singapore, you look at US and you say, okay, Singapore is restricted in terms of what I can buy, what a kind of a potential gain I can get, actually get from stocks. And I want to look at New York. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's Apple, actually more vibrant. Disney, yes. Right, all the interesting companies yes, are but, there, yes. But would you know that uh, even though you have not stepped into the shore of uh, US and if you actually pass on holding US shares, the asset tax could be quite high, you know, as much as about 40%. And the assumption limit is actually very low. So this example whereby, you know, estate tax could actually erode the value of what you have actually intended to keep behind. Wow, okay, mm-hmm. wait. So clarity. That means if I own a million dollars worth of, you know, US shares, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, I pass on. Mm-hmm. 40% is being taxed in the form of US estate tax and there's limited exemptions for foreigners. Is that what it is? That's right. Wow. Very whole mm. tan, huh? very That's good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and then mm. the value of the stocks is at the point of death, mm. all right? So, so if it's at the point the of death, and after that, if the market should erode, mm. you still have to find money, okay, to okay. pay for that. Okay, okay. Tax. interesting. Interesting. <laughs> there is a very classic, uh, so-called example. Uh, it's a real life so-called story. It came out in the papers, uh, I think, in the early two thousand, so many years ago. And I still remember the title of this article in, was it in Business or Straits Times? is The Case of the Missing $3 Million. What happened is got this very rich man. Uh, he passed away, uh, leaving behind. I mean, at the time was, I think, in the ni- maybe late 1990s. He bought a lot of technology stocks. Then was the technology mm-hmm. craze, right? Yes. So he passed away $3 million worth of estate, a lot invested in the tech stocks in US. So what happened is that because estate duty applies, the amount that's dutiable comes up to like, okay, I cannot exactly remember, it's about 1.7 million, wow. right? Yeah, but unfortunately, so this 1.7 million is arrived at based on like a percentage of the value of the shares at the point of death of that 3 million worth, the estate duty comes up to like 1.7 million. Mm. Unfortunately, at, after everything is over, right, after some time when they finally resolve the probate and all that, the value of the shares has dropped to like 1.3 million because there was like a tech mm, uh, was a bubble, bubble, right? Yes. Yeah, so it crashed. So at that time, you know, when they are ready to dis- distribute, the shares were only worth 1.3 million. So but imagine the beneficiaries, the I inherit these shares now, I'm ready to sell them, it's like worth 1.3, but I have to pay tax of 1.7. Wow. So it's, mm. you're not even getting anything, but the estate has a liability. 
Yeah, wow. so this is a very classic example because, you know, the amounts are huge. Mm, mm, uh, and even though it happened years ago, but it's still very true today. A mm. uh, lesson to learn that, okay, you know, as much as in investing in US shares, you know, is very exciting nowadays, right, with a huge gain. But I suppose a person needs to be mindful that, uh, okay, if they make sure they don't die, la, then nothing mm. of this would happen. But should something that happen, to make sure, la, it's should something, a, yeah, I mean, should something happens, then mm. you know that's where you know the high estate, you know the estate taxes comes in, and it's going to eat away whatever mm. that we have. Mm. Okay, okay, and and in in that case, is there any way to rectify this? You know, like to avoid this this uh, this way of taxation. Well, I mean, uh, there are other ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are. There, one way is that uh, one way may not be uh, okay for some people who like to just you know pick on specific stocks, right? Mm. That may be not be a good solution. But mm. if you just think that okay, generally I like a lot of the U.S. stocks, you know, generally I mean you can always uh, invest through funds. Uh, so that way, you wouldn't be exposed to this estate duty liability. Funds are not exposed at all to estate duties. Uh, no, I mean, if you buy, let's say, a fund in Singapore, you ah, know that they okay. invest so in US companies, in okay. right? Uh, uh, mm. they invest in US companies and all that. So in Singapore, there's no estate duty. It's only if you own directly US shares. So ah. that is one way, but it's not a very direct way. I mean, for some people, who insist. Oh, but. I like, you know, Apple stock. I just mm, want to buy Apple mm, stock and full stock. Mm, then, yeah, I mean, through buying of a fund, you can't because typically a fund would invest in quite a number of, you know, US companies and mm. not just one stock. That's good to know. It's good mm. to know. I think at some point in time, people will want to have a little bit more structure, a little bit more steady. La. I think when you're younger, you want to accumulate. You want things to grow, 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 grow. Yep. Eh? But at some point in time, you feel, okay, I have enough. You know, things are good. So maybe we can structure our portfolio a bit differently mm. yeah. You know, at, at that point in time. Yeah. I suppose there could be other ways, like, okay, maybe if I set up a company, right, to invest in shares. But this is provided if your shareholding is going to be quite substantial because setting up a company itself would, creates costs, additional yeah. costs mm -hmm. and other issues, right? So, but if the portfolio is really huge enough, right, that may be worth, you know, looking into. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's good thoughts, good thoughts. What about JB property? If people buy JB property, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these days a lot of people buy JB property, right? Yeah. How, how, does, how does that factor in? Well, JB property, uh, JB, they have actually uh, done away with the estate duty. Oh, so, so, yeah, no so that was actually duty, back huh? in 1991, I think. Okay. Yeah, okay. so there's actually no estate duty. Okay, so mm. you can go and buy your Pee Yuan, uh, your country garden. Uh, <laughs> 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 retire in Johor, uh, if, if you so choose to. Yeah, But, but you also point out mm. a little bit about the medical cost. Mm. You were saying about medical costs eating yes. into preservation. Correct. You know, eating into the estate, right? So, so how, how, how does that work? Okay, medical, you could actually look in terms of like uh, buying a comprehensive inpatient medical insurances. Ah, yeah, okay. because a large part of the cost is actually associated because of inpatient, surgical, uh, outpatient, you know, like for example, chemo, uh, kidney dialysis, etc. So your comprehensive uh, medical insurances will take care of the bigger bill. Uh. Then on top of that, uh, you could think about buying like a dreaded disease coverage. If the trigger of that event is actually because of major illnesses, then what the major illnesses insurances will actually does is that they actually pay a lump sum upon diagnosis. Right, so this amount of money then can be available to make provision, you know, mm -hmm. for income replacement. 
Nice. So I, I think increasingly there are more and more people, you know, owning cryptography, right? Owning crypto assets. And um, that will probably form a very big part of uh, people's future, you know, estate and assets, right? So, so is that, is that uh, like taxable, you know, how, how does that work? You know, do you have any insights on this? Like, you know what Eleanor talked about, having this asset listing, you know, because increasingly mm. people have uh, bank accounts whereby there's no paper trail, right? I mm. mean, uh, even if you deposit money, there's no slip, nothing. And if you never tell anybody, nobody knows that you actually have this account, CIMB. I know CIMB has got this way, it's e-saver, no trail, nothing. I mean, it's just an example. I think increasingly all banks have this. So if you don't leave behind a trail, your assets could be lost. Uh, I guess it's the same for crypto because crypto is about, you know, having the, the password to that wallet, right? Once that password, nobody knows you, this password is gone. You may have amassed a fortune because, you know, you, you, you started in buying crypto uh, early and then now, you know, especially Bitcoin has gone up so much. And then if nobody knows, or even if someone knows you invest in crypto, but okay, where what is your passcode? What is your... Uh, you know, the, the, the details to assess your wallet, right? This crypto wallet, then everything is gone. So I guess it's mm. also the importance of putting down all this, letting people know the access to your wallet. From what I know is that uh, cryptocurrencies, is, there's actually, it's not regulated by the government. Yeah, so because of that, uh, that's why, you know, places like uh, India, they are banning the people and they're finding the people for actually trading in cryptocurrency. So in that sense, uh, if let's say it's actually not under the preview of the government, uh, then question is that how, how to how to tax, <laughs> right? It's always that question, right? Government <laughs> always asks how to tax. How to tax, <laughs> yeah. yeah so There's a lot of like um, so-called like regulations or standards now setting out that actually they treat crypto, even though we call it cryptocurrency, but they classify this this asset, right, mm. as a property. So mm. it's not treated as a currency. So it's mm. like a, a property, a real estate. And uh, depending on which country you're in, if you trade in crypto, your gain or loss, I think most of the time it's gain, okay, it could be loss depending mm. on the timing. For now, for now. Your huh? gain <laughs> is actually considered as capital gain tax. Mm. And apparently a lot of exchanges, all this, they are supposed to do reporting. But maybe it's still new. I do not know how to, I mean, whether how they can really pull this, this, uh, but by right, there's supposed to be all this reporting of all this gain and you'll be subject, let's say if you are a US citizen, mm. you'll be subject to capital gain tax. Of course, in Singapore, we don't have capital gain tax, mm. right? So even if you make a gain from selling your crypto, you know, you don't have to pay capital gain tax. Mm. But in countries like US, they have to. Nice. So, I think we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, the whole estate process. Of course, uh, in terms of nitty-gritty, then um, it's case by case, right? A lot of individual realities that people have to work with. But I think we covered the idea of creation, preservation, distribution, uh, largely in, in today's discussion, right? But this last question, right? Um, what are some common mistakes that people make if we have not already covered, you know, that you want to add? Maybe I would say that uh, procrastination... Uh, as much as people know the importance generally, right, of estate planning, mm. uh, at least for most people, you know, one of the very big thing out of estate planning to them is having a will. I mean, if you talk to people, most people would know that, yeah, it's important to have a will. But it is important, but never urgent for a lot of people. So I think one lesson to learn is not to procrastinate, but uh, to set aside time because it is not an exciting 
topic, it's right? It's so, so heavy. Uh, it's heavy. Even I feel heavy. Right. And so it's not people, you know, excitedly, okay, let's talk about like, it, you know. So, no? Yes. It has to be something very intentional. And yes. as usual, you know, everyone is busy. Uh, so in our busyness, we tend to do the urgent things, but mm. not important. And it's not something that people like enjoy doing, right? Mm. So it's always pushed, often forgotten. Yeah. So I guess one important thing is to... Maybe remember not to procrastinate, but to really intentionally set aside time to look into this area of planning. Yeah. Thanks. Good reminder. Mm. Mm. For me, I've got an incident of a, a client who comes in and he says that uh, I want to draft my will. So when I actually shall share with him the three things to consider, he says, no, I just want to draft my will. All right. So uh, eventually I help him to do that. And he chunk off a certain lump sum for this, for that person, for this person, for that person. And eventually when he come around to say, that, okay, Elena, I got time. Let's do the holistic planning. And when he actually look at the consequences of his estate plan, which is the will, it would actually translate to actually very little left for his own family members. Because out of all he has, he's already taken a, quite a bit of a lump sum to the people outside of his direct family members. So one of the uh, so-called risks, you know, is, is not having a holistic plan. It's, it's doing things piecemeal, and then you, you don't see how it actually comes together uh, as, as the, you know, complete plan. Because ultimately what you want is to, to work, accumulate, and provide a certain quality of lifestyle for your family members. These are basically the benefits. But if you do things piecemeal, you know, the end results could be quite different. Yes. Mm. Not everything should a la carte. <laughs> <laughs> Some things are come in a set. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for sharing. I know mm. it's a very heavy topic, but I think I, I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot of good stuff. Thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you. something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut knowledge is that much more powerful interesting when shared debated and discussed join our community telegram group follow us on our social sign up for our weekly newsletter everything is in the description below and if you love us and want to help us grow definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials also sign up for our members backend for more investment related content live discussions curated content and most importantly your commitment to us is a step forward for us to continue creating great content for Focus on you rather than advertisers. For more information, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, sustainable for all. Okay, we have our last three questions that we ask everybody. Okay. The first question I want to ask is, uh, what is a core life principle that you hold close to? For me, it's a hard work and prudence, you know. So um, there's no free lunch, and uh, if you talk about prudence, it's actually counting your pennies. You know, be uh, be in, be intentional about accumulating. For some people, it's like you know what they save is actually what they don't spend. All right. So and then at the end of the day, they look at it. How come I'm actually accumulating so little? You know, to have, actually have a systematic savings plan. Yeah, and that actually starts with not investing, but actually starts with actually being mindful about what you're setting aside and paying to yourself first. For me, it's um, really like learning to appreciate whatever season of life or stage of life you're in, appreciate whatever, where, wherever you are, and make the most out of it. 
Nice. That's very nice. Beautiful seasons. I love it. I love it. So then what is a personal finance advice that you feel needs to be further propagated? I think it is important to plan, but you know now there's this uh, philosophy of um, YOLO, right? Mm. Uh, you live, you only live once, and there's this fire. I feel it is important to have that balance, mm. right? Uh, as much as we should always plan for the future and not live as if you only live once and ignore the future, but the other extreme of you know is fire, meaning to say I scream and save every single cent just to work towards a goal in mind that I have. But the thing is that, you know, we don't have a contract with God, we never know. Mm -hmm. So while I think having that balance is important, uh, while we want to save for the future, but we also want to make sure that uh, we, we spend time, we spend the money to try to achieve what is important to us in life along mm -hmm. the way, the journey. So the journey is important. It's not just an end point. You know, fire is about looking at the end point that I want to achieve, right? But we may never get there. So while trying to work towards that, uh, that journey of going there, we want to make sure that we have that time and resources to live up what is really means a lot to us, what's important to us in our life. Okay, for me, it's um, time in the market, you know, as opposed to timing the market, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, instead of like trying to wait for the right time to buy and right time to get out, which is actually very stressful, you know. It is. <laughs> yeah, so have, have a comprehensive plan, you know, accumulate consistently and, you know, just enjoy, enjoy what you're doing. Cool. So then what is something that you're focusing on in your life now? Okay, uh, for me, I'm actually focusing, I would say it's actually my family because uh, uh, I shared with you just now was that uh, I've got two kids and then uh, both my children are big already. In fact, uh, my son is married. Mm. And then my daughter is actually staying on her own. So I would say that, uh, you know, similar to your description of uh, someone that's actually in the 50s and, you know, who have actually accumulated, you know, and is very generally quite comfortable. Uh, what I want to focus is then, then what is then my role as a parent, you know, uh, to support my children, you know, so that they can then have their future. So I don't want to just give. You know, I want to be there to support and then to have the wisdom to know what to do, when to stop, when to stay back, when to watch and when to, you know, come in. Nice. Beautiful. Mm. I, at this point of my life, I think I'm focusing a lot on relationships, uh, not just my immediate family, you know, my extended family, the close friends. So it's trying to have that time to deepen and, you know, uh, build these relationships because I think that's very important to me at this point in my life. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs>